We'll be in Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 this morning. And as we have taken time to go through this, some questions that I wrote down this week as looking back through Titus is this. Uh, what type of Christian, if you're a Christian, are you becoming? If you're a follower of Christ, a believer, how are you living out the truths of God's word in your life daily? When was the last time that you purposely looked for ways to serve others? Was it this morning, this week? Was it once in the last year? Or is it something that uh, your life uh, shows that you're committed to serving the Lord and to serving others? Are good works evident in your life if you're a follower of Christ? Are others looking to Jesus Christ because they see that His grace has transformed and changed your life. Just a few questions to ponder, to think through uh, for the person who is a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I pray that today is a day of salvation for you. As we look at Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, specifically the scriptural truth we look to this morning is that God's grace changes the hearts of his people to live holy lives by doing good works which give glory to God and point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul writes, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The Word of God. Let us not forget this morning as we look to uh, a text like this, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, that he wrote what the Holy Spirit put on his heart to write. And so therefore, when we read even this letter, we read the words of God given for his people then and given for his people now. This last few verses may be something that many would just kind of skip over real quick at the end. Let's get to the next book of Philemon and just, okay, he ends his letter. But this is a, one sense, a summary of what he's written from the very beginning. And so this morning, let us look to verses 12 through 13 and see as he speaks of these fellow servants of God in this first point. We go back to chapter 1, and if you have not uh, been with us in our study of this, it would be beneficial for you to go back and read Titus. And as we look back on this, we see that Paul gives a charge to Titus in the first chapter, chapter and throughout to protect doctrine, the truth of God's word, and that he would teach the believers to practice the truth or practice sound doctrine. We read from the beginning that Titus was left by the Apostle Paul on the island of Crete. And he was supposed to, in chapter 1, verse 5, to set things in order in all of the churches on the island. And that each of the gatherings of the local church there on the island were to have uh, the right leadership. And so he was to appoint qualified men. Uh, we see that in chapter 1. We spent uh, three weeks looking at what those elders must do and what they must not do or what they must be and not be. 
specifically these qualification that are qualifications that are the mark of the elders, shepherds, these under shepherds of Christ, elders, pastors, those who would shepherd the flock entrusted to them. And we saw also as we looked to First Peter chapter five at that time, and we looked at First Timothy chapter three in regards to all of the duties of the elders that they must give an account for all who God brings into the local gathering. Here at the end of this letter, Paul gives a new mission to Titus and says, you're going to meet me in Nicopolis, Nicopolis, uh, another name for it, the city of victory. But he would not leave until Paul has sent another qualified man of God to come and to, in a sense, relieve him and continue this work that he has been charged to do. We don't know the exact amount of time that Titus was in Crete, but we know that he was given this charge to do this work. And then he was to go on to the next mission that the Apostle Paul gave him. From the beginning to the end of this letter, though, we see that the Apostle Paul is committed to see that the local church has godly, qualified leadership that are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a factor of health in the local gathering of the church is that this is God's plan for his church, that Jesus Christ, who is the head, the one who plants his church, the one who builds his church, also puts men in those positions that there would be a healthy church. If you go back this week and reflect on chapter 1, you'll see that it has lists of what an elder must have for qualifications and what they must not do or must not have. And we also saw that they're not perfect in this, but they are to continue to grow in this area And therefore, the warning to all churches today and then is do not place men in positions of authority if they don't qualify for those positions. And so churches must not be hasty, which happens many times is that a decision must be made. And so there's a decision made to place people in leadership. And instead, we should be constantly praying. And I said four weeks in a row, the first chapter of Titus, pray for your elders, I being one of them. Pray for us. Pray that God would continue to grow us in our faith and continue to lead us in how he would shepherd the flock entrusted that we must one day give an account. The church that I served in Los Angeles before coming here in the city of Montebello, I have to give an account for the eight years that I was serving as an elder, an under-shepherd of Christ, the people that God brought there just as now. Not to give an account for your salvation, but to give an account that the gospel is preached, that the word of God is upheld, that church discipline is enacted when it needs to be, that the body of Christ is encouraged, like in the text, to do good works, to serve one another, that we would look to the word of God as our guide to live holy lives by. I and the elders of these churches have to one day give an account. And that is, in one way, a fearful thing. So I say to you again, pray for the elders, that the Holy Spirit of God would constantly direct us, that we would lead as he leads us and calls us to. Look at verse 12 here. He mentions two guys, Artemis and Tychicus. He says, when I send these guys to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And you say, well, who's Artemis and who is Tychicus? 
Well, Artemis, he's only named here one time. We don't know anything else about him. But the fact that his name would show up here would tell you that the Apostle Paul finds Artemis a worthy man who could come and replace Titus. And so someone who would most likely fulfill all the qualifications that we see in chapter 1. That's all we know about him. Tychicus, though, we have other scripture. In Acts chapter 20, it tells us that Tychicus accompanied the Apostle Paul in Macedonia and in Greece. In Ephesians chapter 6, Tychicus is sent to Ephesus to encourage the Christians and the church there and to let them know about the Apostle Paul and his well-being on his missionary journeys. But we read also in Colossians chapter 4 of Tychicus, and Paul calls him a beloved brother. He calls him a faithful minister of the gospel. He calls him a fellow servant in the Lord, and he sent him to uh, Colossae to encourage their hearts. And so you have one who we don't know much about, or anything, Artemis, hardly, and Tychicus, who we know much of. And Paul found both of these men worthy to be sent to relieve Titus of the duty to protect sound doctrine and to encourage the church to practice it. So the question is, who did he send? We don't have a follow-up letter that says he sent Artemis or he sent Tychicus. Most likely, though, he sent Artemis because when you look at the possible timelines of the letters and you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, Tychicus goes to Ephesus. And so most likely, it's Artemis, the one who comes to relieve Titus and continue the good work of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus on the island of Crete. But I thought this question, what if Titus leaves the island of Crete? Are these churches then going to worry? Who is this guy that Apostle Paul has sent us? And that is what happens in local churches around the globe when you see a transition in leadership, specifically in churches who have placed all their hope and following in a senior pastor and not the plurality of the elders of the body of Christ. A senior pastor or lead pastor is just one of the elders in the church that may be tasked with doing more preaching than the other elders. But all the elders are apt to teach. They have to be able to teach and preach the word of God. And so what happens, and I've seen this many times, is the local gathering, let's say this one, if I was transitioning out of this place and there was not a following of a team of elders, a church would then begin to freak out. And if they're a part of a denomination, they would seek out the leader there and say, well, what do we do? Send us someone. We can't make it through next Sunday. Who's going to be our guest preacher? Those churches who have a plurality of elders would just naturally then have one of the elders stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel in the following week. Another thing that happens in churches is then like, well, we got to make this decision. We got to hurry and find someone fast. We got to find that man of God, whoever it may be. And so what happens many times is in a transition, they say, well, hey, this person in the church is a great business leader. This person in the church is a well-spoken communicator. Let's vote one of them in for the interim. And that may be the way that the Lord is leading. That person may qualify as an elder, but many times it's just filling a position And what happens, you see healthiness within a church begin to deteriorate. 
And the church begins to scatter and people leave because, oh, I don't like that person's teaching. Or he doesn't communicate well. And do you, I mean, church, I don't have to say that some of this to you is new, but many of you have been at multiple churches in your lifetime. You've left churches because of transitions like that. You've left churches because of unhealthy leadership. And therefore, it is so good that we have God's blueprint for the leadership of the church. Go back and read Titus chapter 1, read 1 Timothy chapter 3, read 1 Peter chapter 5, and God is very clear. Christ, in His words, through His people, write down that there are to be a group of elders within the body of Christ that qualify, are not perfect in these areas, but you can find these qualifications, and they are charged with leading and guiding and shepherding and protecting the flock that's entrusted to them. I can tell you, with great joy to be a part of the body of Christ here, to serve with elders who love the Lord God and they love you. And to see them have hearts that are following the Lord in shepherding the flock. This is not a knock on past churches that I've been a part of, but I would say that in the churches I've served in, out of those four churches, this is one of the healthiest Churches, leadership-wise, that I've been a part of. Are they perfect? Am I perfect? Not at all. But with joy, I serve here alongside of the elders who are serving here. And we pray, and you need to pray, that God would continue to raise up more elders. Just as in our other positions of seeking, and we, another day, to, we saw this a while back with deacons and deaconesses, but specifically in elders, this is the attention here in Titus to protect sound doctrine in the church. And so let us not forget, church. Let me ask you this. Who is the head of the church? Who? Jesus Christ. Do not forget that. Because he is perfect. He is sinless. He does not make mistakes. Does man make mistakes? Does man sin? Does man fail at times? Who's head of the church? Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So take a deep breath this morning and know that Jesus is in charge. That he rules and reigns over his church. He's the one who plants it, and he's the one that uproots it. Read Revelation chapter 1 through 3 and see the warnings to the churches and the warnings of him uprooting them, taking away their lampstand. Jesus is the church planner and he's also the church closer. He is in charge. And he's placed men in his church to serve. And so he says this in verse 13, if you draw your attention back here to chapter 3. Paul says, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Well, who are these two guys? Two more names. We're like, wait, we got Artemis. We got Tychicus. We know a little bit about one. But who are these guys? Well, Zenos, uh, it says he's a lawyer. When you look at the word described, it's a, a word used of someone who's learned in the law, specifically an interpreter and a teacher of the Mosaic law. So we know he's a lawyer. Nothing else about him. He's like Artemis. But he was possibly, him and Apollos here, brought this letter to Titus. And Paul saying, now send them quickly on their way. But Apollos, some of you have heard that name because you've read the book of Acts. And you've seen in Acts chapter 18 that Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria. 
And as he was uh, one who knew of John the Baptist's teaching, it spoke uh, and said that he was a very well-spoken uh, person of the word of God. He knew God's word and he boldly refuted Jews in public by speaking of what he knew. And yet you have um, Priscilla and Aquila who take him to the side and they teach him the gospel more clearly with that. And then we see Apollos mentioned in other places. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church of Corinth, he speaks of Apollos. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, addressing people who possibly were saying, well, I follow this guy. Well, I follow this guy. And he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I hope that you see, church, that if you place your faith in a man or men who are leading the church, they will fail you. Place your faith in Jesus, the head of the church, and pray for the men who God places to lead the church, that they would continue to walk in ways of holiness. And they would continue to do. As Paul says, I planted Apollos waters, but who gave the growth church? What's it say there? God gives the growth. The Holy Spirit of God works among the body of Christ, causing us to walk in holiness. As we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God illuminates the Word that we would understand and that we would apply it and live by it. And so when you go from this place on a Sunday or from a small group studying the Word of God, and you go, I'm going to go and apply and do this, and you try to do it on your own power, you will fail. You need the Holy Spirit, the power of God to help you live and walk in ways of holiness, to do good works, as we even see here today in the text. But he says there, look back at verse 13, send Zenos and Apollos on their way quickly and see that they lack what? Nothing. Here we see Paul's call to the church to meet the needs of the missionary endeavor to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see that he is telling them to meet their needs. What of what? Food, clothing, finances for their travels. We see this in other letters as Paul calls out other churches. Hey, make sure when they get, when I get there, make sure that money that you guys are pledging is set ahead of time so we don't have to gather it then. I mean, he addresses these issues, even rest from travel. Imagine these men walking miles and miles and miles to take these letters that God has given to encourage the body of Christ. And they come into the church and they bring the letter to Titus. And imagine the gathering of the churches in Crete going, uh, oh, you know what? There's, there's a rock pile over there with a little bit of tree cover. You can stay over there. Uh, you know what? There's a great fishing spot over there. Go catch your food over there. <clears throat> I mean, imagine these people bringing the words of God and the church not showing any care for them whatsoever. No hospitality, no good works, no food, no clothing, no help with their expenses. Just leaving them to the side to try to find their way back and go do what Paul has called them to do. I'm very thankful that the Holy Spirit works in this church. And... I have found that this church is very hospitable to one another. Filled with good works, caring for one another. Many times I've been reminded 
of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 when it speaks of the body of Christ caring for needs of one another. When I find out later where there was someone who had a need here in this church and I didn't even know about it and it was met by someone else, what a joy of the work that God does among his people. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. And I would say, church, that gathers here in this place, we need to continue to grow in good works and serving one another and in hospitality and caring for one another. I was just reading in the bulletin this morning. Our, our goal for this year of $30,000 to support the missionary endeavor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, going out to the ends of the earth, supporting missionaries from our denomination. Our goal is $30,000 for the year. And praise the Lord, there's been 20, over 23000 almost $24,000 given. To think that that goes to support the physical needs, the traveling needs of missionaries that are going around the globe to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. A great chapter for the believer to reflect on. Specifically speaking of God's grace upon the believer and how we are to live as the body of Christ And it says this in verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Church, you should reflect on those verses this week. Maybe every day this week, open to Romans chapter 12 and read verses 9 through 13. Let that be a guide as you pray before you go out in the day. Are you seeking during your day at school, at work, by your neighbors, when you go to the store to look to serve others, being led by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would show hospitality to those in need. When it says outdo one another in showing honor, this isn't some competition or game. Watching my children, and they would say myself included, we get competitive with board games. Everyone wants to win. This is not a winning thing. When it says to outdo one another in showing honor, again, Or is there in you this movement of the Holy Spirit that you desire to be hospitable, to show honor to others, to humble yourself and place others first? That's really this description of how we should be living. And so back in Titus, if you would go back there with me in chapter 3, Titus has been given this charge and this opportunity to lead the church as he's waiting for someone to come and relieve him in that position, uh, that they would practice right doctrine and do that by serving others. And he does this by driving home this message in verses 14 through 15, something that he has done throughout this short letter, which is that we are to be devoted to good works. The second point is there must be a devotion to good works in the life of the believer. Turn to chapter 1 here of Titus. 
Let's look through this. How many times he speaks of good works in this short three-chapter letter? In verses 13 through 16, you can read that he says, Do not be like the false teachers who are unfit for good works. So when we saw that, he says, here's a description of false teachers. Those who are not Christians, they're unfit for good works. You have been saved by the grace of God, so you are to do good works. And that is the result or the fruit of the person who's been saved. Look at chapter 2 there, verses 7 through 8. Show yourself, Titus, he's speaking to Titus. Show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. He first writes to Titus as a leader in the church. He says, you, Titus, be a model of good works. You, Christian, in this room today, are you a model of good works to the body of Christ? In chapter 2, verse 14, look down there farther. Speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for what, church? For what? Good works. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for what? Every good work. Verse 8 of chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. Good works are the fruit of those who believe in God. Those who are saved by the grace of God and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. Look at verse 14 now. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And let our people learn to devote, circle that, highlight that, devote themselves to good works. There it is again. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be what? Unfruitful. Christians, we are to learn if we haven't learned to be devoted to doing good works as much as he says to a poor evil. As much as we're to, 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 to move away from evil and sinfulness, we are to be committed and devoted and seeking to do good works. And believers should be seen as the people of God who are looking daily for opportunities to do good. I don't know what you started your morning with or what you will start your morning with tomorrow. But when you get ready to set out for your day, when you wake in the morning and you pray and you seek the Lord and read his word, is there a movement upon your heart that you are praying? Holy Spirit, would you show me how and when and where to do good works today? Would you show me the places that you would direct me to that I would do good works in the name of Christ for his glory Because that is what I'm commanded to do. 
How do you start your morning? Do you jump out of bed and you are grumpy and upset and you can't wait to have your cup of coffee? Or are you rolling out of bed because you didn't sleep well at night and you have this foggy brain? Are you gathering up your books, children, and getting ready to go to school and thinking about who are you going to see today and that test that you forgot to study for and that project that you were like, oh, I didn't tell mom and dad about? What is your morning like? Is it set on Jesus Christ? Is it a, 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 a working in your heart that you would pray? Father, direct me today. How I would do good works that would glorify you. Not because it gets me any favor with you, but simply because I love you. And I want to be obedient to you. And that we would pray that good works would be evident in our life today. <clears throat> As much as I've been encouraged by those within the body of Christ meeting the needs and serving one another, I, I, I would say at the same time, we still have much to grow in, church. Many times in the last almost four years now that I've been here, either through emails or bulletin things or reminders, we will say, church, here's a need. Sometimes they're met immediately, but sometimes it's like the need, there's not even a mention of it, or there's a need mentioned, and, and people are like, well, I can't help with that, but there's not even an encouragement to find out, like, okay, I can't help with that, but is someone helping in that need? And so there's always a way for us to improve. There's always ways for us to meet needs. The fact that we have a sister in Christ that needs a ride to church on Sundays because she can't drive anymore. And that we need people that would be willing to, to rotate through and pick her up and bring her to church. I mean, imagine the fellowship in the car before you even get to church. And the fellowship afterwards, speaking of the preaching of the word of God. That's just one need that's there. That she's not able to fellowship and be here because she needs simply a ride. I mean, we could go on with the list of needs and those things. And I'm thankful for the way that those needs are met and to know that there are still more needs and there is still much more work to do. <clears throat> and so he says again in verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to what? Good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be mindful. I would remind you from our study that doing good works this practicing of sound doctrine is the result or the fruit of salvation. Your works do nothing to get you any status with the Lord. You are not saved by works and God is not pleased more because of your works. If you are in Christ, you've been given the righteousness of Christ. And that's why God the Father has adopted you because he's seen the righteousness of his son in you. And he says, that's my son, that's my daughter, who I've set before an inheritance waiting for them. And so do not believe the lie that your good works, Christian, will grant you any greater standing with the Lord because of Christ's work in you. He's already approved of you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what does 
being devoted to good works look like in the church and outside of the church for the follower of Christ. If you see what he says here in Titus chapter 3, verse 14, he speaks of urgent needs. There is always an urgent need in the church. There are urgent needs today as I stand here before you. There will be urgent needs among the body of Christ tomorrow and the following day and every day until the day that we are with Christ. There are always urgent needs in the church. And he says, so as do the, devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I'm thankful for Titus and 1 Timothy and 1 Peter and Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 6, because in that, again, we see not only that God places elders in positions to shepherd the church, but in Acts chapter 6, there was a need of the widows that were not being fed within the body of Christ. And what the apostles said as they were shepherding the early church, they said, we cannot stop preaching the gospel, the word of God, and committing and devoting ourselves to prayer, and then go and meet this need over here. We have to be working at this. Therefore, they told the church, pick men fulfilling these qualifications to meet those physical needs. That's why we have deacons who meet physical needs. That's why we have deaconesses who meet physical needs within the body of Christ here at Discovery. The elders... In Christ's church around this globe are gifted with spiritual gifts, but they are not the complete body of Christ with every spiritual gift. As you read in the book of 1 Corinthians, the body of Christ that each of you have, if you are a follower of Christ, the spirit of Christ in you, and you have gifts that are given that you are to use for the glory of God and the building up of the church. So, If you think that the elders or other leaders are the only ones that are supposed to minister in the church, you do not have a clear understanding of God's word and his plan for the body of Christ. As a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit living in you, you are given gifts to use in the body of Christ and you're to be obedient in that, to do those good works. And so we are to help meet the needs of others by devoting ourselves to good works. And it is a glorious thing when I find out and I hear reports of the body of Christ meeting needs because what it does, it continues to build the love of Christ here and it also builds unity in Christ. As you, it may only take you a few minutes to do one simple thing, but that one simple thing that you did to serve that brother or sister in Christ brought great benefit to their life. And great joy and great encouragement, just as Paul sent certain people to the churches to encourage the body of Christ. Maybe you have that ability and gift to encourage other people. You are to use that. I remember a woman in the last church that we're at, and I know that she's still there. She's in her mid-90s. And I remember after being there one or two years, she was talking about how she could not do the types of ways that she used to serve in the church anymore. Just physically. But she never missed. But she was also a great encourager. Every single week, she had some type of encouraging thing she would say to me. And I said to her one week, I said, your gift of encouragement, that good work, 
You need to write letters to people. You need to write cards to people in the church and encourage them with scripture and pray for them. It was like she had never thought about that before. She began to write to the body of Christ a simple thing. And some of you need to do that. You have time and you need to, instead of sending the email, I mean, we can communicate by emails, but to write something on a piece of paper encouraging from the Word of God and to put it in an envelope and to put a stamp on it and to take it down to the post office or put it in there to find the, the, to hear of the joy of people that do that in this church and to hear of people opening those things. It is wonderful. I can't tell you how many times that some of you have sent me a card here at the church or at my home and I've opened them like wasn't even expecting it and it was at the perfect time that God used you to send an encouragement to me. It's like, thank you, Lord. The greatest good work that you are called to do, that everyone is called to do, is the good work of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, their eyes would be open, the gift of faith would be granted to them, as Ephesians we just read, and they'd be saved. That's the greatest good work you can do. From the, the youngest believer in this room to the oldest, tell the gospel, herald the gospel, preach the gospel, tell people that they are sinners, that they need Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save them by faith in him. Tell them the truth. That is your greatest good work that you can do and are commanded and called to do, church. Pray that God would open those doors with the people that you speak with every day that you might be thinking, well, I'm going to go and serve and do this physical thing. It's like God's bringing a person right there that you would speak the gospel truth to them. That is the greatest good work that you're called to do. And there's no excuse or way around of it. So you might say, well, I'm not a good speaker like Apollos was right here. I don't do this. Or I'm not a missionary. No, if you're a Christian... The Great Commission is to go make disciples, teaching them everything that Jesus taught the disciples. You are, as Romans 10 says, how will someone believe if they do not hear? Do you know who's supposed to speak the truth? You! You should all say me if you're a follower of Christ at that point. Open your mouth and speak the gospel. Because you can't save any of them, but the Holy Spirit will work so that people's eyes are open as they hear the gospel truth, and God saves his people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. As Titus says there in verse 14, to not be unfruitful. John chapter 15, is teach, Jesus is teaching what it is to bear fruit and what it is to be unfruitful. And it says this in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 8. Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. Pay attention, church. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Good fruit in your life is the result of the saving work and the grace of God. This week I read this excerpt here. I'll read to you about good works. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes this and he says, Good works spring from union with Christ. Just as we were reading, abiding in Christ. We believe that the more we know and feel ourselves to be one with Jesus, the more holy we will be. Why is a Christian's character like Christ's character? Only for this reason, that a Christian is joined and united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does that branch bring forth grapes? Simply because it has been grafted into the vine, and therefore it partakes of the nature of the stem. So the only way we can bring forth fruit to God is by being grafted into Christ and united with Him. Christians who think they walk in holiness without keeping up perpetual fellowship with Christ have made a great mistake. If we want to be holy, we must live close to Jesus. Good works spring only from there. Here we draw the most powerful reasons against anything like trusting in works. For as works are only the gift of God, how utterly impossible does it become for an unrighteous, unconverted, ungodly person to produce any such good works on their own? And if they are God's gifts, how little merit can there be in them? To produce any good works, you must be in Christ and you must abide in Christ. And the only way you can be grafted into Christ is through faith in Jesus Christ in that Jesus Christ was the one who went to the cross, the one who was perfect and sinless. And as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, it says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took your sin, Christian, and he was nailed to the cross and the father poured out his wrath on his son meant for you and his blood shed takes away, forgives you of your sins. And he, through faith in him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sets you in a right place that you would abide in Christ and Christ in you for all of eternity. And that good works that you do now as you live and walk on this earth is evidence of God's saving grace. Look at the last verse here as we come to a conclusion in Titus Again, many people would just skip over this last verse because they got to get to Philemon. All who are with me are sin greetings. Do you greet those? Okay, grace be with you all. And then on. Because I got to finish my reading plan for the year. And I need that 30 seconds so I can continue on to the next one. No, don't stop because it's the end of a letter. God gave those words to be read, so they're important. It says, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the face, in the faith, grace and peace. Grace be with you all. He begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 4, with the same thing he ends it. 
and it's grace. Good works, salvation, all of that is a work of grace. And as we studied specifically grace a few weeks ago in chapter 3, we saw that grace is God's undeserved love, His unmerited favor for His people, and salvation has come to His people by God's sovereign grace. And there are extremes, and we must continue to grow in the grace of God. And as we grow in our understanding of God's grace, He moves us from different areas of immaturity and different things that we don't understand and we grow in. And so sometimes you have these extremes of people, what they think of grace. You have legalism in which people think that the grace of God is they do these works to try to get pleasing God so they can either get more merit with him or to make it to heaven in that way. And they 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 mix up and misunderstand and have an under a bad understanding of what grace is. On the other side, you have an opposite of this this view of an antinomian or this word antinomianism, which in a sense, somebody kind of like, I'm forgiven. Um, I really don't have to go and do a bunch of good works. And they uh, this laziness, but there's an unfruitfulness. Again, they don't understand the grace of God. Church, Christian, follower of Christ, you must grow in your st- understanding of God's grace and you find it where, church? Oh, come on. Where do you find and grow in your understanding of God's grace? In His Word. Thank you. (laughs) We see that. We look to His Word. And the Holy Spirit opens the Word of God and teaches us. And God's grace molds your heart and transforms your heart and changes your heart and moves your heart that you would do good works that bring glory to God. Look at verse 4 through 7 of chapter 3. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Church, as we begin, God's grace changes the hearts of his people to live holy lives by doing good works which give glory to God and point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's grace, as we grow in our understanding of what he has bestowed upon us, his grace poured out upon us, continues to humble us. We sinners who could do nothing to be saved are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, are saved by the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith that we would be set free from slavery to sin, that we would one day be with Christ for all eternity. Three verses that we end with. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians three thirteen. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Church, do not grow weary in doing good. And giving glory to God. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we pray and ask that in this moment, at the conclusion of looking at this letter in your word, your words to Titus then and to the church now, that we would be a people that are humbled by your grace, that we would be a people that are clinging to the truth of your word, that we would be praying for the body of Christ, for the elders and leaders of the church, that we would be praying for one another, that we would be seeking daily to do good works that glorify you and bless others. And Father, I pray that for each of the believers in this place, that they would be doing the good work of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And that as they do that, that we would know that you are working in us. Father, may you be glorified in our lives. May you save those who are lost in darkness from their sins through the blood of Christ. We thank you for working in us. And we praise your name, Jesus. Amen.